Hey, church family. So good to be with you again on this Sunday morning. Hope you're all doing well and staying safe. Just want to remind you that we have started meeting again at church, not in the building, but we've started meeting outside, uh, out in the back church parking lot. The last three weeks we've done that and just really been able to be able to have a good time and worship together. And if you're worried about the sun, just to let you know, we have started meeting a little bit earlier at 930 and there's plenty of shade out there. So, But we also understand that everybody's quite comfortable yet and so we are uh, we want to let you know that's absolutely fine which is why we're still uh, offering worship online and doing that and so glad that you've joined us whether it's in person or online we're just glad and blessed to be able to meet together and worship together and so glad that you've joined us uh, to worship together this morning the story goes that there was a passenger who piled his luggage on the scale at the airline counter in New York and he said to the ticket agent he said I'm flying to Los Angeles I want the large bags sent to Denver and the two small ones sent to Cincinnati. And the ticket agent looked at him kind of crossways and said, sir, I'm sorry, but we can't do that. And the passenger said, well, that's good to hear because that's where they ended up the last time I flew this route. How many of you ever had something happen like that when you were flying or some other travel fiasco, right? If you've traveled enough and you had your fair share of travels, then you've probably like me had your fair share of travel fiascos. There's one though that stands out to me just after Marcy and I got married. In fact, we had left, this is when we left our reception after our wedding, the day of our wedding, left our reception and we were headed to Chicago because we were flying out of Chicago to head down, fly down to Mexico for our honeymoon. And so we were driving and it's getting pretty late at, at night because we'd had the wedding and had the reception and hung out for a while. And so we were just past, I think, Kalamazoo when we realized that we had forgotten our tickets, or I guess more accurately, because my wife is listening, I had forgotten our tickets. And so we had to turn around and come all the way back to Battle Creek because this is before you had, you know, you could get tickets on your phones. We didn't have the smartphones back then. And so we had to turn around and come all the way back to Battle Creek. And so we were on our way back to Battle Creek and we're trying to get a hold of my friends because we didn't know where they had taken my car and couldn't get a hold of them. Well, finally, after I think an hour or so, we were already in Battle Creek trying to find where they were, where they had parked my car. So we finally found my car, which is where my ticket, or where the tickets were, got the tickets and got back on the road, headed back to Chicago. Well, we started to think about it and we're like, well, it's after midnight at this point. So we don't feel like driving all the way to Chicago, although in hindsight, we probably should have based on what I'm about to tell you next, because uh, we, when we decided that we were just going to get a hotel before that and not drive all the way to Chicago, we did not know that apparently all the hotels basically between Battle Creek and it felt like, you know, all the way to Chicago or at least in, into Michigan City were booked. Literally, everyone was booked. Something was going on or some kind of convention or something. And so we had to drive for miles and miles. Finally, I can't remember where we were, but finally we found the last hotel or we found a hotel with the last room and we finally got to our room. I think it was like 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning, finally got up to our room. To make matters worse, I don't know if it was the just the stress of the events of the night or the whole day adding up and our wedding or if it was just the reality sinking in that she was now married to me. Uh, but Marcy, my wife, was not feeling too well. She was nauseous and so I had to go get her Sprite and crackers and she nibbled on those and drank some Sprite. And so that's how we spent our first night slash morning uh, as a med wedding, uh, as a married couple. So then we got up the next morning, although I guess it was later on that morning, not more than a couple hours later because our flight was early, and we made our way to the airport, finally going to get on the plane and get going. 
Well, when we got to the airport, we did not have our passport and we did not have our birth certificate. So I don't know if that was a mix up with the you know, travel agent not telling us or we just didn't hear that part. So we had to call Pat and get her up in the, early in the morning. Pat's my mother-in-law, in case you don't know, and Marcy's mom. And so she found our birth certificates and she faxed them to us, which was good, partly, because mine was able to be accepted. Uh, however, Marcy's was not. It was too blurry. And so at this point, we're panicking. We feel like we are not going to make this flight. We're going to miss our honeymoon. We're not going to be able to get on the plane. So we go to the ticket agent. We're saying, what can you do? Is there anything you can do? And she said, well, yeah, you actually have some time. It's only, I think, six or seven in the morning, whatever it was, because we didn't realize that it's an hour later. We forgot that it's an hour later in Michigan than it is in Chicago. So we had an extra hour. Luckily, Pat was able to go somewhere and fax the Marcy's birth certificate in a better way somehow. And it ended up being readable, or at least the very least they accepted it. And we were able to get on our flight and get there but it doesn't stop there because when we landed in mexico they do random bag checks and so the lady of course marcy gets pegged as you know because she's suspicious looking i guess so they brought her over and the lady goes to open up her bag and when she opens it up a shampoo bottle had exploded and shampoo was over everything all of marcy's clothes and all of her stuff i guess the one good thing was the lady let us go through didn't have to check our bag anymore after that but we spent the afternoon washing out Marcy's clothes and drying them with nothing less than a hairdryer. So quite the adventure and travel fiascos to start off our wedding. As my wife would say, there's been a few bumps along the road <laughs> in our marriage as well. I guess you, what to be expected when you start off that way. But I will tell you this, we will not soon forget that. And I'm sure you have some stories that you could tell uh, as well. Even the Apostle Paul had some stories that he could share, which brings us to our lesson today as we are ending, unfortunately, we're moving on to different things next week, but we are ending our sermon series that we've been, over, been in over the last several months called Going Viral, in which we've been journeying through the book of Acts and examining what it looks like when the message of Jesus goes viral. And today our series ends with a story about the Apostle Paul on a trip. And it was a trip that didn't quite go like he wanted it to or he expected it to, and yet it was a trip nonetheless that God worked quite powerfully and quite effectively through. So let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. Luke writes, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they, pre or they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. Now up until this point right here that we're reading, Paul has been on a roll going viral with the message of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you go back to verse 5, just before what we just read, it says, So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. And Paul had a lot to do with that. He had a lot to do with the message of Jesus spreading throughout the places that he was preaching. But here, the role kind of stops. Paul doesn't get to go everywhere he wants to go. Paul wants to go into Asia and declare the gospel of Jesus there, but somehow the Holy Spirit prevents him from going there into Asia. Then as we just read in verse 7, Paul tries to cross over the border of Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus won't allow him to cross over there 
either. Now, I don't know how Paul knew that it was the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that was uh, you know, resisting him or not allowing him to go in. In fact, he, he may not have known that it was the Spirit at that time because it's Luke that's actually writing this. Maybe he is writing this from a, you know, Pinesight perspective. I, I don't know. I don't know what Paul did or didn't know. But I do know this that the Spirit, he knew that the Spirit was preventing him from crossing over the border of Bithynia and Asia to declare the gospel about Jesus. And that in and of itself had to be so frustrating for Paul because Paul, he's seen the light. That's a story we read a few weeks ago. He's seen the light, and Jesus has commissioned Paul himself. Jesus himself has commissioned Paul himself to go declare the gospel about Jesus. And yet now Paul's trying to do this and the spirit of Jesus won't let him cross the border to go where he wants to go. And I just think even just this small little portion of scripture is, has such a powerful message to it. Because sometimes it's easy for us to think that, that guys like Paul always had a red line right to the main office of heaven, right? That he's got a direct line to God, but he didn't. I mean, the same guy that saw visions and um, you know, dreams and, and revelations apparently here doesn't have a red line to God because he keeps trying to get into Asia, trying to get into the, uh, to Bithynia and cross over the border and the spirit won't let him go. The spirit won't let him cross. Even Paul gets his direction from God, slamming a few doors in his face every now and then. Now, most of us are probably familiar with the old adage that God never shuts a door without opening another. But here's another part to that equation. That doesn't always happen simultaneously. God doesn't always simultaneously shut a door while opening another. Sometimes the hallway in between doors can be very long. In between the time God slams the door in your face and the time God opens another. And nobody tells you how long the hallway is going to be. Nobody tells you the distance between one door opening, or excuse me, one door closing and another door opening. For Paul, the hallway was 300 miles long. This little trip that we just read about a few verses ago is 300 miles. Paul keeps trying to go north and east, depending on where he is, and the Spirit won't let him. And it's a 300-mile trip the way he's traveling all the way to Troas. And he's not flying Delta or American or United. And he's not traveling 70 miles an hour on an interstate in a car on cruise control. No, he's, he's on foot most likely, maybe at best on the back of some animal. And for 300 miles, he keeps trying to go somewhere that the Spirit's just not letting him go. I bet he had more than his fair share of nights along the way thinking, what in the world is going on? God, what in the world would you have me do? And I'm sure there's probably at least a few of us who have had those moments as well. So Paul winds up in Troas, which is west of where he wants to go. And he's probably not sure what he's going to do next, but there are a couple of things that happen that I want to point out that happen in Troas. Continuing in verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So this is the first thing that happens. Paul has a vision that obviously leads him to believe that it's time for him to head over to Macedonia and take the message of Jesus there and preach it there. But here's the deal. Macedonia is west of where he wants to go. In fact, it's further west from where he wants to go. It's up by Greece. I mean, it's like Paul is trying to, you know, go to New York. Let's just say he's in Battle Creek and he's trying to go to New York. And yet he has a vision that tells him, I want you to go to Chicago. Paul wants to go east. He wants to declare the gospel east into Asia, and yet he keeps being driven further 
west. Why? What's God up to? Well, we'll get to that later. Verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. Did you notice the pronouns we and us? This is the first time in Acts that, that the author, Luke, is writing himself into the book of Acts. Luke basically says, this is where I come in. This is where I join the story. In other words, Luke, the, the author of Acts, has apparently linked up with Paul in Troas, and he winds up traveling with Paul to Macedonia. Now, why is this significant? Well, I'm not saying this is the whole reason, but I do think this is interesting. Check this out. Do you remember what Luke's occupation is? Luke is a doctor. And this is significant because little does Paul realize at this point, but he's about to enter into the time of greatest suffering, Paul is, of greatest suffering in his life and ministry. From this point forward, as the rest of Acts unfolds, Paul is going to be put through the ringer, literally, emotionally, spiritually, especially physically. I mean, he, he takes a beating if you read through the rest of Acts. Literally and figuratively. Or go read uh, 2 Corinthians 11 sometime. Paul just goes through this laundry list of everything he goes through from this point forward. And, and so what if at least part of the reason Paul wasn't allowed to go deeper into Asia at this point is so that Paul could hook up with Luke in Troas and have a doctor traveling with him because of the rough road that, it, that lies ahead for Paul. That he had a, a lot of suffering yet to come. And I'm sure as, as Paul's life unfolded, looking back, he was so glad that the Spirit wouldn't allow him to go into Asia the first time he crossed because he'd need Luke for the journey ahead. Speaking of the journey, let's read on in verse 11. From Tro Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went to Neapolis. And from there we traveled to Philippi, <coughs> excuse me, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the city where we, to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. Keep that in the back of your mind, Thyatira. We'll come back to that. Who was a worshiper of God, Lydia was. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So when Paul shows up in, in Philippi, Notice where they begin. They begin by going to a place of prayer. That's the, the start of the story of how the church in Philippi is planted. It begins with prayer. But specifically, why did they go to a place of prayer? What, what does Luke mean when he writes that? Well, usually when Paul came to a city or a town, the first place that he would go was to a synagogue. Why? Well, Paul was a Jew. And so he would go there to pray and to worship himself, but he'd also go there to be around other Jews to share with them the message of Jesus. If you remember back in Romans, Paul talks about the, uh, the, the message of Jesus is for the Jew first, then for the Gentile. And so Paul's mission was to always go to the Jew first and then go to the Gentiles because it was for them too. But he always finds Jews to preach to them the message of Jesus Christ. And then he kind of work out from there. But in this Greek city, which is deeper into the Roman Empire, because Paul is, is actually traveling closer to Rome at this point, most likely there was no synagogue there in Philippi. And so the next best thing you do in a place that doesn't have a synagogue is you'd set up a place of prayer by a river outside the city. Now, why was it by a river? Well, most of your worship to God in the Old Testament involved ceremonial washing or cleansing. And so at a river, you've got this huge water 
supply. And so they'd set up a place of prayer, almost like a place of worship, to go down by a river and do all the things that they'd be able to do, or at least some of them, most of them, in a synagogue. And so Paul goes down there and he's looking for people, other Jews like him. It's a place of prayer. And he sees some women gathered there and he begins to declare to them the good news about their Jewish Messiah, Jesus. And Lydia is a woman there and she's in the fashion industry. She's a maker of fine purple cloth, again, from the city of Thyatira. And she's listening to what Paul has to say. Now check this out. She's a Gentile woman, meaning she's not a Jew by birth, but apparently she has been converted to Judaism because she's at the place of prayer. That's our first clue. And as Luke says, she's a worshiper of God. That's our second clue. And verse 14 says that as Paul was speaking, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Isn't that beautiful language? The Lord opened her her heart. There's a lot going on, but what's important there and what's significant there is the Lord opens up her heart and not just the heart of anybody, but the heart of a Gentile woman. She may be a, a Jewish convert, but she's still a Gentile woman. And this is just another example of the gospel transcending barriers. And so at the end of Acts chapter 7, just to rewind a little bit, the church, if you remember, was still there in just, in, just in Jerusalem. But then persecution broke out and it drove the believers there in Jerusalem to leave Jerusalem. And they needed to leave Jerusalem because if you remember, Jesus had told them all the way back in Acts chapter 1 that you will be my witnesses, not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But there's no way those Jewish believers were going to go into Samaria, much less to the end of the ends of the earth, unless God drove them, unless he drove them out of Jerusalem and into Samaria and Judea and to the ends of the earth because they had their prejudices against those Samaritans. Remember that lesson a few weeks back. They even had their prejudices against Gentiles in general. Remember that lesson a few weeks back as well. And so Acts chapter 8 is the story of the gospel spreading to those in the Jewish minds, those stinking Samaritans. And Acts chapter 9 is the story of the gospel spreading to and through one of the main enemies of the Jewish believers in Christ, Saul, who would later be known as Paul. And then Acts chapter 10 is the story of the gospel spreading even to a Roman centurion, a, a, a Gentile, a Cornelius. And now you have the, the story here of the gospel spreading into Macedonia, not just to another Gentile, but to a Gentile woman no less. She's the first convert in Philippi. The gospel is going viral. And what I've just shown you is the gospel continuing to stretch every, over every known barrier. Samaritans and Romans and Gentiles and men and women. And it's going to continue to spread. It's going to continue to transcend every cultural barrier that even the church set up in the first century. Because the gospel of Jesus is for everyone. And Jesus is creating a new family out of everyone. That's what you see next. Verse 15, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. That was no small thing. Not only are they baptized, Lydia and her house are baptized, but Paul, who's a Jew of Jew, remember, goes under the house of a Gentile woman, stays at her house, his entourage he and his entourage stay there. Jews don't associate with Gentiles. Remember all the trouble with Peter in Acts chapter 10. And yet Paul knows. He goes in. He stays with her. He baptizes her. 
because he knows that Jesus has changed all that. Later, Paul would write in Galatians chapter 3, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so on the last week of our Going Viral series, let me just leave you with three takeaways. And the first is this, setbacks for us can actually be setups for God to work more powerfully through us. You know, sometimes those setbacks in our lives can be setups for a more effective mission later on. Go back to the Spirit of the Lord not allowing Paul to go into Asia, to cross the border into Asia. Paul keeps trying to head east. He wants to go into Asia and declare the gospel. And God, for 300 miles, keeps shutting the door, won't let him in. It's a setback. At least that's how Paul views it. And instead, God drives him west to Troas. And from there, he gets a vision to go, a vision to go further west over into Philippi. And a church winds up being planted in Philippi. But Paul never wanted to go into Philippi. He's trying to go into Asia. But here's why that's a big deal. The Philippian church that's birthed out of, that, out of Lydia's home winds up being the church with the money and the resources. In fact, it winds up being the church that, thought, that finances Paul's later trip into, guess where? Asia. Isn't God cool? Isn't he awesome? In other words, Paul eventually will get to see the gospel spread across the border and into Asia. But when he finally does, it's going to have a lot more financial resources and backing behind it than it would have the first time if he'd been successful in crossing the border. I mean, what if the whole reason the Spirit of God wouldn't let Paul cross the border of Asia the first time and walk through that door is because he wanted to... Paul to, to put Paul in a better position to, later with resources, more resources and the assistance of Luke so that Paul could go further and deeper with the gospel when he finally crossed over the border to go into Asia and share Jesus there. Little did Paul realize that his vision to go to Macedonia was actually the means for him to go deeper into Asia later. All that to say that when God shuts a door in your face, what if he's shutting the door in your face so that when the door finally opens again, you'll actually be in a better position to go further than you would have the first time you'd walk through it. Sometimes God shuts doors in order to get us in a position to meet people or to have the resources that we need for a later assignment so that he can do a better and greater work through us than he would have been able to the first time around. And it just has me thinking about all the doors that I've had shut in my life, much to my disappointment at the time, only to later look in the rearview mirror in my life and be so thankful that God shut those doors when he did. Because sometimes those things that seem to be setbacks for us can actually turn out to be setups for God to work more powerfully through us. Here's a second takeaway. This story in Acts chapter 16 reminds us that we're called to live with intention even when we're not in our desired location. We're called to live with intention even when we're not where we want to be, when we're not in the, the location that we desire to be in in our lives. Paul 
wasn't trying to go to Philippi. He wanted to go to Asia. But when God led him to Philippi, Paul made the most of it. And he lived with intention. And he, and he declared the gospel where he was, no matter where he was. By the way, I, I think it's interesting. Lydia was from the town of Thyatira. Do you know where Thyatira was? In Asia. And so Paul may not have been able to go to the location that he wanted to go, but guess what? He still wind up, wound up declaring the gospel to someone from Asia. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that so cool? And who knows, maybe the church in Philippi wound up financing the gospel, later advancing into Asia, because the first convert there in Philippi was a woman named Lydia who herself was from Asia. I mean, you just, you just don't know. And even after this experience with Lydia in Philippi here in Acts chapter 16, we, we don't have time to go into all this story, so I'll just give you the cliff notes of it. But, but if you know the story later, Paul winds up in prison, in prison in Philippi. In fact, you can read it just after the story in Lydia. Paul winds up in prison in Philippi. I mean, some trip this has been. And, and Paul and Silas, who's with Paul on this trip, Paul and Silas wind up in prison and they're singing hymns. They're singing songs of praise to God while they're in stocks in prison and an earthquake comes and all the prison doors fly open and everyone's chains come loose because God's in the business of prison breaks over and over again throughout Acts if you read through the whole story. And, 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 and the jailer who's in charge of all the, the prisoners sees the prison doors open, sees you know all of, of what looks like all the prisoners are gone and so he figures my life's over anyways when my superiors hear about this and so I might as well take my own life rather than face the punishment from them. And so he's about to take his own life. And Paul yells out at him. He says, stop, don't, don't do it. We're, we're all here. Nobody's gone. And Paul winds up sharing the gospel of Jesus with this Philippian jailer. And the Philippian jailer ends up giving his life to Jesus Christ and being baptized. And it just makes you wonder, would that Philippian jailer ever have given his life to Jesus Christ if Paul had not gone to Philippi and been in prison there? And so the whole rest of Acts chapter 16 Paul is never in his desired location, but he lives with intention anyway. So let me ask you, can you live with intention even when you're not in your desired location in life? Can you live with intention and do what you can where you are with what you have? Can you live with intention? That's what Paul does. And he challenges us to do the same, to live with intention, even when we're not in our desired location. And then finally, a third takeaway, and it's simply this. It's our job to open our mouths. It's God's job to open hearts. I love those words. The Lord opened her heart, Lydia's heart, to respond to Paul's message. You and I, we're not, you know, it's, it's not our responsibility to open hearts. It's not our responsibility to convince people of what Jesus has done. That's God's job. That's the Spirit's job. You, you can't. Only God can do that. But it is your responsibility to open your mouth. We're just the messengers. We're just the delivery men and women. Our responsibility is to deliver the message, to deliver the mail. You can't make them read it. You can't make them accept it but you're supposed to deliver the message. That's what God calls us to do. That's our job, to open our mouths and share the message of Jesus Christ. It's God's job to open their hearts.
And I can tell you this one thing for sure. God's going to do his part. The question is, will we do ours?